Hi, I'm Jay Robinson and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time Podcast. I'm Luke Edwards. Hope you've had a good week. And it's fair to say it's been another eventful week in the soap opera that is the National League. And uh, <laughs> joining me this week to discuss everything as always, it is Rob Worrell. Hiya, Rob. Hi, Luke. Hi, guys. And I'm going to go uh, anti-clockwise on this. So uh, next to him, it is Dickie Wharton. Hiya, Dickie. Good morning, Luke. Good to speak to you again. Good morning, everybody else, too. This looks like the worst celebrity squares ever. Just above him is Chris Pratt. Hiya, Chris. That's a bit harsh. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> and uh, to his left, it is Tom Lang. Hiya, Tom. Morning, Luke. Morning, chaps. And then right at the top alongside me, of course, uh, we have uh, Billy Ricky Town striker Jake Robinson and also the face of our... Um, face of our logo that goes out on Twitter every week but as most of them apart from Doswell aren't in the National League anymore I think your time's coming to an end on that <laughs> thanks for having me but yeah thanks for having me as the pitcher as well it always made me smile when I was scrolling through the timeline on a Sunday morning um, expected to be gone at the end of last season actually but then pleasantly surprised when this one's died up again <laughs> and, and you heard him say hi as well at the start of the podcast we've heard a lot from him already and we'll hear a lot more from him as well shortly on, on everything that's gone on because it's fair to say um, it's been a really uh, massive week in the National League. So just to clarify, uh, the resolutions one and three were passed out of the four resolutions that were given. So that means in summary, step one and two were to split in deciding the outcome of the 2021 playing season. Uh, as a special resolution, the voting percentage is 75% or higher under the National League voting criteria was required to pass. So the, the National League had 21 for and zero against in Resolution 1, National League North had 16-4 and 6 against, and National League South 9-4 and 12 against, which basically was 75%, which took Resolution 4 out of the equation, which has angered a few managers out there. So Resolution 2 was for the National League to be declared null and void. That wasn't passed. That was 7-4, um, 13 against. And then in summary, the National League North and South playing season was to be declared null and void. That needed a minimum of 51% majority uh, and that was passed. The National League North had 15 votes for. Uh, interestingly, the National League South only had nine for and 12 against. Uh, 18 clubs in the North and South want to carry on as well, don't they, Dickie? It's all a bit um, up in the air, legal challenges flying about and things like that. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think it was on Friday that there was a, a letter that came out that had been um, joint signed by 18 North and South clubs. Um, who were basically trying to make a case um, to, for, for, for it to continu- continue. Um, but their suggestion being that there be a mini league. It's not that mini when there's 22 teams in the league anyway, and you're talking about 18. Um, and they're talking about uh, essentially a mini league of, of North and South clubs that want to continue and are able to continue, um, but being able to uh, uh, ha- basically carry on until the end of the season um, in order to still have promotion out of that. I mean, I don't know quite how that would work because obviously at the moment when you have promotion from the North and South, you have two clubs from each going up. You know, if if two um, Northern clubs finish top of that mini league, if it were to ever happen, you know, what's the South club going to have to say about that? You know, it, there's there's a, there's so many questions around it, aren't there? And, and <clears throat> if I'm being realistic, I, I don't see it taking off, but you know, uh, you can see that the position people are in, they're, they're just trying to be creative and just trying to come up with a solution that, that basically helps them 
and meet the, their ambitions, I guess. Interesting, Gloucester and Dorkin are the ones who are sort of pushing uh, for the fight to continue, understandably. Um, and Dick, you obviously, you, you mentioned to us about the DCMS have released some information about the loans this week as well, haven't they? Yeah, they have. I think that came out yesterday morning. Now, they, they haven't gone as far as to saying which clubs have actually um, applied for and, and, and been granted the loans under this, this winter survival fund. But I, I gather there's 19 clubs. I think that includes National League. So that's across all three divisions. There's 19 clubs. And I think there's a total of about three million pounds that we're talking about in loan funding, which, which has essentially been approved. Um, so obviously, well, there's two things there. There was the question about whether loan funding was actually um, permitted under the National League rules. Um, and, it clearly looks as though they found a loophole to allow that to happen. Um, and and the, the recluded clubs that, that, that want to use that to carry on. Now, there's the whole question about whether you can use it for wages, etc. There might be some clubs that aren't actually continuing that have applied for that loan funding because, as clubs have rightly pointed out, you've still got expenses. You've still got payments to the local authority. You've got to maintain the ground. You've got to do all those kind of things for another six months, even if, you, you, even if you're a team that, that voted for null and void and don't want to continue. So, yeah, I mean, we might get some more meat on the bone of that over the next week, I would guess. Interestingly, the only club in the National League at the minute in the top division, uh, a Dover, who said they don't want to carry on. And Karen Barry, who's a friend of the podcast, she, she sent me a message just before we start recording, saying, very sad times at Dover at the moment, but I think our chairman has done the right thing. We gave all our players free transfers before the start of the season as we were struggling. So we had no choice but to get young kids in, which we did on loans as we couldn't afford to buy anyone. We used the money the league gave us up to help pay our bills and hope to have fans back in by January. But sadly, it wasn't to be. Our chairman has funded a club out of his own pocket for a long time, but with no money coming in, we can't afford to even travel to matches, let alone play one. Jim Parmenter didn't want a loan as we can't afford to repay it and be in debt. And our fans have all pretty much accepted relegation as we just want to have a club to watch with respect for what league we're in. Now the National League have fined us for not playing matches, but we have no money to pay the fines. So I'm not sure how that will work out. But I, for one, and I know a lot of others will say we just want our club to still be alive and be able to go and watch them again irrespective of what league they're in. Sorry for the rant, but I've read so much rubbish about our situation lately and just wanted to put the record straight. And I know, Rob, you heard an interview with Jim Parmenter this week as well. Yeah, he uh, talked to Matt Gerrard, my BBC colleague at the Kent uh, Kent, uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, I mean, I won't read all of it now because Karen's touched on some of that. But in short, he says, we just don't have the funds to continue playing. It's not a question of we don't want to, we can't. The people at Sport England seem to be making all sorts of assumptions that because I put half a million quid into my club last year, I can automatically afford to do that for the next 20 years. It doesn't work like that. The whole thing is a mess. The only option is for us to furlough the players to avoid insolvency. If grant money is made available in the next two to three weeks that covers our expenditure, then we could start playing again. Um, if the funding is not forthcoming, we stay with our players furloughed. We keep the club alive by paying the statutory bills and we look to play football next season at whatever level the authorities decide. Just one thing on the uh, point Karen made, uh, the league haven't fined anybody yet anything. Um, well done to the non-league show for managing to get Mark Ives on. We hope Mark or someone from the uh, National League will join us next weekend. Um, one thing clarified by Mark Ives was that... Um, they have a process, and if a side can't fulfil a, fi- a fixture, then they, they have to 
they have to review that on an individual basis. And it might well be that if a side can prove it's got just cause to call a game off, then there may not be a fine forthcoming. But that process has to be in place. And that was clearly explained uh, by Markives. Um, <clears throat> I mean, where to go with all this, boys? I, I don't really want to go any further into the podcast. Than, than, than we've got Jake with us. Jake, you love your football. You may be in your twilight years. We don't know. You still look as if you're in your 20s to me. But um, this must hit hard. It's your trade. It's your livelihood. And you've been told out of your control that you're not playing anymore this season. Yeah, it's it's, it's been horrible. I mean, the last couple of weeks, actually, has probably been the hardest two of the whole season where I've been on furlough. But obviously, the club's been obligated to, to play the games with the, um, the non-contracted players, the youth team. Um, that's probably been the hardest period for me because, you know, having to watch from the side, I almost felt like I was suspended, but hadn't actually done anything wrong. Um, so, yeah, I, I think nobody would have signed up for this at the start of the season. If you knew this was going to be the outcome, I think people probably would have said we won't start. I mean, clearly people would have said we won't start because no one, nobody wanted this. Um, I think, obviously, regardless of whether you think the right decision has been reached now regarding playing or or, or stopping I think that the process or how we've how we've got to this and how it's all been managed in general has been pretty pretty disgusting to be honest. Um I think that needs to be looked at obviously at a much higher level than than what I can um you know have an input on. Um but yeah, just as a as a player in general, I want to play football from a purely selfish perspective. This is two years of of my career basically when I feel like I'm obviously not in, in my prime as you've just said, but playing some of my best football and and certainly enjoying it the most. That, that's just been, you know, almost wiped from the record books and I'm not getting any younger. And unfortunately, you know, that's, that's two whole seasons where where there's been um, no no positive outcome. And um, yeah, although it was a bit of a surprise when the, when the ruling actually did come down in the end, I think we all had a feeling it was coming. Just, just fr- frustratingly, I feel like we got through the worst part. We we got through, you know, the, the peaks of the, the virus and, um, you know, playing majority, not the majority, half a season with with knowing no income and and ma- the club's managing that, and then unfortunately, just as you feel there's some light at the end of the tunnel and everything's looking a bit brighter, and you know the sun's making a few appearances outside, um, and we, we're told that that's it, unfortunately. So, yeah, I've, I'm sure players throughout the country feel the same. Nobody wants to be in this position, but that's, but it is what it is, I guess. As a player and your your colleagues and everything do you feel like you've been listened to throughout this whole thing I mean there are times when you guys have been putting your boots on and playing and obviously in close proximity to each other and on the pitch uh, when everyone else has been told to stay at home how have you felt about that and do you feel like there's been a, a sort of a collective person speaking for you have you had a voice in all this I think that I think the most glaring example of where we haven't been listened to particularly well was right at the start of the pandemic when every league in the country had stopped and we played that one extra weekend. I mean, I remember we turned up at Welling. No one really knew anything about the pandemic at this stage, except, you know, obviously what we'd read through the through the, the media and stuff. And it's, we, we're kind of, we're in the change room thinking like, well, I don't think we should be here. I know there was a real, real feeling of that throughout the squad both teams in fact um we we played that day like we didn't want to be there well in we're a, we're a little bit we're a little bit better and, and they won the game but that was the first time and then obviously it did stop straight after which almost made us think like we shouldn't have been there that weekend they've obviously got some new evidence or whatever that it needs to stop straight away and then since we've come back it's almost like we've got this elite tag 
but we're not really being treated like that. Uh, although we were very grateful to be playing, everyone was was delighted that our routine, given what's going on around in the country, wasn't really changed that much. We're still training twice a week. We're still, you know, getting our games in. Um, but there was no testing. Um, there was no real like. Although Billy Ricky, I have to say, were were really good. They were fantastic with putting their their guidelines and and whatnot in place. It was almost like throughout the week we'd we'd do the best we could to socially distance and you know keep your, your hands sanitising and hygiene up. But then it was like we turn up on a Saturday, the game starts and nothing changed. You know, you know you're marking people at corners and you're you know, getting on the floor and dirty and stuff. And no one really thought about that. Whereas top level down to League Two, whatnot, tested regularly, you kind of feel half safe. But there was never really a, um, like you said, like a voice for, for the lower reaches of, of non-league football. Um, I don't know who, who that would be, to be honest. I mean... There's no the ex pros are still in the PFA, but they, they, I don't think they really pay much attention to what we're doing down here. Um, and you just kind of go in with the flow. You feel like you're almost dictated to. Um, but at the same time, we were so happy to be playing football and and carrying on almost as normal that no one really, I don't think, wanted to speak out anyway. If you understand that, it's really interesting that you say that. And you mentioned earlier about you know does the national league board or the constitution does that need to be looked at and the thought occurred to me last night you know would you know would you find it helpful if there was some player representation on the national league board you know would you feel like you perhaps had more of a a voice there you know and that's not to say anything about the I think there are former players you know who've played non-league who are on the board now but it's a long time ago and you know would, would would having voices who are sort of like your contemporaries people who are actually involved now do you think that would help yeah, definitely. And I think that's kind of football's an industry where you can look at almost every aspect of the game and say that having former players involved would would be a benefit. I mean, I know there's obviously big um it's a big drama about the standard of refereeing at the moment, and that's another aspect that people are saying get ex pros involved. I know Sunes was saying it last night on the telly, get some ex pros involved. They know the game. And I think that that would transfer over into the boardroom as well. The National League board, I've got to be honest, is something I'd never even considered until the last year and a half. I couldn't have told you who was even on it uh, until obviously all this has kicked off. So now it's kind of in the spotlight more and their their decisions are being judged almost, um, you know, broken down by clubs and boards and um, being put in the media spotlight. Then it brings that bit more attention to it and, I think, yeah, sticking some players in there, even if it's just like going to some meetings with them and, and you know, doing a Q and A. Ask ask the players what if we did this, what would how would that players react to that or how would that affect the game? It's really simple stuff, but you know, it's, it's this is the way it's been done for so long. I guess people would, would not even consider it and, and this is probably a good chance to have a little bit of a reform and a rethink about how things are done. Yeah, Tom, I mean, it's interesting as well, Jake mentioned about it feels like a couple of years of his career's already gone. I mean, it's the same down, somebody said to me, it's like some players at step four, four, five, six, uh, even three have only played like, what, 10 games in, in nearly two years and and it has eaten into their careers, hasn't it? It has. Um, and and obviously that's, that's really sad, um, you know, and I think that is endemic of the wider situation as well. Um, you know, you can look at every industry in the country really and say that, People have lost two years potentially of their industry, of their livelihoods, of their careers. You know, um, but football playing is something that has a time frame on it, isn't it? Um, you know, it's one thing that you know as you approach your mid to late thirties, you're probably looking at hanging up the boots, um, and you do have to feel sorry for people about end of their career. But then I also look at it in the other way as well, 
And the national leagues now are full of players in the that age bracket of sort of 18 to 22, 23, who are looking at getting back into the professional game, desperate to get that chance, uh, get that good half season season to make the step up into the professional leagues. And those guys are, are potentially missing that really crucial window. Um, and you're going to find people who could have potentially had a shot at professional football not getting that opportunity because they've missed that key age bracket. This isn't a qu- I mean, I'm not necessarily going to ask Jake to answer this, but I know obviously in our in our world role here on this podcast, we know people who've like got people on the National League board from different clubs. Do you think there is too much self-interest on the National League board? Do you think it maybe need the board needs people of representatives not from clubs because obviously they'll there they will be fallings out in that way and there will be self-interest in their own club on that board i think that question about the composition of who's on the board is something that's been asked a lot lately i mean i think it was actually um alan julian i i responded to a, a tweet of of his is your keeper down at hampton I, I believe tom um and he'd asked are there any ex-players on the national league board and i and i was able to reply um you know about jack pierce who who, who uh, is a board member um but it's 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 that thing of and no disrespect to him, but it's a long time ago since he was on the board. So does he necessarily understand the way and the the type of players? And 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 as we've got lads eighteen to twenty two who are looking for a route back into the professional game, you know, and it and it is professional at the top end of the national league. Does he necessarily understand that well enough? And 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 you know, he might well come on here and um you know absolutely blow me full of holes and, and show that absolutely he does understand it but that's the thing we just don't know it's that lack of transparency again isn't it about that thing about who is on the board we know that there are clubs that have representatives on there who generally tend to be sort of club owners and the people who run them the business side of things rather than necessarily on the playing side of things and there are standing board members as well but it's that thing again that people just don't seem to know who they are and I think just that little bit of bit more transparency around who's involved in the decision making would, would help um just just for people to feel like you know well he would understand yeah I, I I you know if he's on there making a case for us then you know I don't feel so bad about it then because at least I feel like I'm being represented but I think we've got to be careful as well because we must remember that players aren't the only stakeholders involved um, and whilst the players, I mean, for me, players are the people that are the primary, at primary risk during the pandemic. They're the ones, as Jake rightly says, who are asked to go out and jostle the corners and compete for the ball and get into that close physical proximity. But in the same way that we've seen a lot of people, the board saying that they are just custodians of the club, they don't own the club. Players are, you know, just passing through the clubs, passing through the leagues, whether that's for a year or two as they move on or even 20 years, they have a full career at a certain club. The club will hopefully outlast and predate any player or any any board member. So whilst I think it's really important to get a player rep, I also think we should have a fan rep on the board. I think that's really important. Um, I think there's a, a number of stakeholders that key, but we've always got to remember that the board's main responsibility is not to the players and making sure that they have fulfilled careers. It's to the clubs and making sure that the clubs and the league itself continues. Um and I think that that's what they've tried to discharge by putting it back to the press and asking them to vote for themselves on what they think is in their best interests. Horrible situation for them all the way through, I have to say. You know, most of them are volunteers. I don't think there's anybody in the National League pyramid, whether board members, club staff, club officials, who was prepared for this. Um, and there's got to be an element of understanding that, yeah, some of their decision making hasn't been great, but nobody was, nobody was prepared for this at all. Obviously, 
it's great that Billericay, for, for, for example, and they're not far from the only club, there's plenty that have done that, have found a way to keep playing matches without incurring expenses. But how do you, as one of the players who is contracted and then asked to go on furlough, what's that like as a player who's very invested in the club and invested in the results that the club gets to then say, like, well, actually, no, you just sit down for a little bit. You you take a back seat. We're going to bring these other guys in and they're just going to hold the fort for you. Is that quite a weird place to be in? Yeah, it's weird. Um, I can see why. I mean, I feel like I'm almost not an outlier, but because I've been at the club for so long and because of you know my relationship with the club, I I, I took it in the way it was meant, I think. Um, they're looking out for the best interests of the club. They want the club to last, as you were just saying. You know, We want this club to be here for another 120 years, whatever it is. I can see players at other clubs maybe thinking... I've got no relation to this club. I came here to play football. They're not letting me play football. Um, I'm not happy about this. Um, so, yeah, it is tough. Um, depends on the attitude of the players, I guess. I mean, for me, it's been really hard um, not being able to play. I managed to get to one of the games actually to go and I went up with to speak to the manager mainly, but stayed and watched the, the kids play. And you know, I was I was pleased for how well they did. I was really happy for the club. It was it was a big moment for them because. Um, being, I think that certainly one of the first clubs to announce they were they were doing the furlough and the um, fulfill the fixture anyway thing. They, they did get a lot of stick that week, you know, about how St Albans being gifted an easy win and whatnot. So um, it's almost like a pride thing, I think, for the club and the players there that, that they managed to get something out of the game. Um, how sustainable it would have been long term, we'll never know. Um, obviously, no relegation anyway, so. You know, it was almost like a free hit for the clubs. Um, but I can honestly see some some teams in in the national league doing it as well now because they the teams at the lower end of the table what what they got to play for they're paying out this money for their players they know they're not going down they know they're not going up. Um, I think it, it will certainly become more common once all these appeals and you know whatever it is Dorking are, are doing and that's all gone through. Um, I think people just ride out the season um, you know with a token gesture to get through it. Tom and it does have obviously it has had pros and cons as we said we've mentioned Apache got placed from step five four three going up to play in the National League North maybe even the National League and I know Dickie's mentioned as well about uh, a player at Telford's cancelling his contract so he can go into the National League players will be looking at it as a, as a stepping stone so it could work out in their advantage because if they do really well they could stay at that level couldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen um, a young lad called Ryan Gondo who's come up from White League to Hampton and Richmond Borough. Jake might remember him. He scored. Twice and set one up against Billericay earlier in the season. Do unfortunately remember him quite well, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there are absolutely opportunities there to be grabbed, aren't there? Um, and they're, you know, like in any sad story, there are always small good ones that come out through the middle of it. Um, I think one of the concerns I have around this potential, and as Jake says, you know, some of the National League clubs potentially going to furlough players and, and just fill the, you know, fill that starting eleven with whoever they can to get to the end of the season it wouldn't surprise me if you see that. The worry I would have from that point is then, does the EFL, a fully professional league, look at the National League and say, do you know what, this division doesn't have the sporting integrity we require to relegate our members to it? And does are there then questions to be asked between the promotion and relegation system between National League and EFL? I also worry that some of the legal action that some of the clubs are taking against the league might sort of open Pandora's box in that regard. But, you know, I'd be interested to hear what other, other guys think. I would agree, Tom. I think I think there is a question around that 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 credibility of of what remains of the rest of the season if if clubs do do um, you know, what Jake has said, which is, you know, just essentially try and ride it out and, and get through. And I think, you know, foremost in everybody's minds, I mean, the, the clubs that are voted for null and void and that aren't going to play on, 
their objective is to just be here, you know, for for next season as well. There are clubs who are going to play on where actually their objective is going to be just exactly the same is just to just get through this and then just be here for, I don't know, August, September, whenever things might start again, you know, fingers crossed. Um, but there is a thing about the integrity of the competition, um, you know, the, the, the way things, um, and I suppose, you know, touching back on that whole question of that proposal of that mini league again, you know, you've got to look at that question of, you know, the, the whole integrity of that. And, you know, if you're talking about, you know, using that as a basis to potentially promote teams into the National League. I don't know necessarily what that says about it as a competition. I know Step 3 haven't called the divisions yet. I'm amazed they yeah, haven't. What I mean. It's not going to call on. Nah, I can't, I can't see it myself. I, I obviously am friends with a lot of people playing at that level and, and below, and they're still, they've still got that hope, I think, that until it's actually called, done and dusted, that, that they might come back. But with the best will in the world, I mean, they're not they're not playing for any promotion or relegation. Again, we go back to that point of what what what's the point? I mean, there are only there are only five teams at step three in the whole country who have played over ten games. Yeah. Um, that is not in February like a suitable starting point to to continue a league. Um, you know, there's are we are we likely to see fans back in before April May? It, it, as you say, Jake, there's no promotion relegation into step two. You almost asked a question, apart from going back to that point about players' career, is it worth trying to resuscitate that season um, for the sake of three months of football, which isn't going to count for anything anyway? No, I, I didn't. If, if the fans team. coming into the grounds and, and you know, this was like a, a nice boost for the fans, they can come and watch a game and, and start getting that sense of normality back. And um, then you may, you may say, yeah, let's have a little friendly tournament or play a few friendlies. But no, there's nobody in the grounds you're going to have to pay the players, I assume, down to a certain level. Um, this is kind of the issue I've, I've found reading about the um, the proposed mini-league that, that the North and the South clubs want to do. You've got 18 teams, so 34 games nationwide, I guess, over what, a three-month period. I just these are, these are part-time people with you know full-time jobs and you're going to be asking what haven't to go to York on a Tuesday night, possibly, and then play again on a Saturday. I just... With the best will in the world, I'd love, I'd love for the league to to carry on, um, but I I'm not sure that's going to be the best option. Would you, as a player, be receptive to sort of um, summer mini tournaments? Uh, like, you know, let's say, for example, hypothetically, the government opened things back up for sporting events in June. Would you be keen to play a sort of a June mini mini league tournament, just friendlies, yeah. um, just to have that sort of feel good event after the year we've had? Absolutely, yeah, I'd love to be a part of that. Um, I guess most people would. It's, but if it's going to be, like you said, I, I read something earlier about possibly crowds being in events looking at May, June time, then that's still going to be four months now without without any football, without kicking a ball, just to even get back in the stadiums. I think it's going to be a real real nice boost for everyone. So yeah, that, that sounds like an excellent idea. Let's move on now and look at the National League because as we mentioned, the National League is continuing at the minute as it stands and uh, we'll look at that next. So, let's talk about you. Actually, let's talk about me, just for a bit, because I was like you. In 40-odd years, I hadn't done much exercise, but I knew I had to start. So, I got the Couch to 5K app. From not being able to run for more than a minute, nine weeks later, I was running for half an hour. It's simple, it's free, and it's all planned out. With a little support, it's amazing what your body can do. Join thousands of monthly users. Download the free 1U Couch to 5K app now, because there's only one you. 
So in the National League, Torquay kicked off in the late game. We'll get onto that shortly because Sutton and Hartlepool kicked off at three o'clock. And both teams are flying. There was drama at Victoria Park as Hartlepool came from behind thanks to Luke Armstrong scoring from about three yards. And then a stoppage time winner from Gavin Hollihan kept the pressure on at the top. And Sutton, they're just flying at the minute. They brushed aside managerless Wheelstone at Gander Green Lane. Isaac Ayalofe opened the scoring before Ashley Charles received two yellow cards before half-time for Wheelstone. Ben Goodliffe and Lewis John added more goals before the break. Danny Parrish got one back for the visitors before Tony Show Silver added the icing on the cake and um, they were real two real statement victories more so the Hartlepool one because they came from behind and left it late and that's when you start to think hold on we might be able to do something this year absolutely um, Luke yeah I'm looking at the stats from that game um, uh, Hartlepool uh, probably were in the ascendancy for most of the game but obviously trailed uh, to the opening goal from Knowles on 54 minutes and uh, yeah Luke Armstrong um, got them back on their way again. It's a huge, huge victory, ultimately with what happened in Torquay later on and also for Sutton and, uh, you know, Matt Gray has been linked also with the uh, vacant Northampton manager's job over the last week or so, but what a job he's doing at Sutton. And Craig Eastman, uh, man of the match again in that one, not on the score sheet, but pulling the strings in, in midfield. Um, tremendous from both of those sides. Chasing down Torquay hard and, uh, well, we'll come on to the other game. You watched it closely, didn't you, Luke? And maybe one or two of the other boys. But uh, what a cracking game it was at Torquay. I'd just say on Craig Eastman, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times in this podcast, I think you will have to go very far to find a better midfielder in this league than Craig Eastman. Um, and the big difference with Sutton now is they've got attacking players in front of him who can thrive on the platform that he provides. Um, the likes of Ajaboy, Aleo, Show Silva. Um, you know, Omar Bugiel, they are get, you know, for the first time probably in, you know, four or five years, Sutton are a really competent and mobile attacking unit. And it, they're just so hard to defend against at the moment. Is it worry though for Sutton that I know they mentioned it on the BT Sport highlights last night, they do fade towards the end of the season. Do you think it's a different team this year, Tom? It, you know, it's, it's not my opinion. It is a different team. You know, you, it, Matt Gray's now had the best part of a season and a half to, impose his image of playing football on the team. Um, he's drip-fed players in pretty consistently across that period. Um, and in terms of the side that we sides that we used to see out under Doswell, there's maybe three or four players left. This is a completely different unit. Um, and and it's, it's as strong as I've ever seen a Sutton side. And I include that famous Sutton side that went to, what was it, the fifth round of the FA Cup and and were challenging in the playoffs the following season. Uh, Torquay then knew the pressure was on in the late kickoff, and they had a decent first half. They did concede a weird on goal, though, through Shearing after it. There was a couple of ricochets. I think uh, Joe Lewis pushed it onto someone else, and then it ricocheted and flew into the net. Uh, that gave Halifax the lead, but they equalised through Asa Hall's penalty, although although it was a foul, it was maybe outside the box, which weirdly didn't mention on the highlights at all, uh, or the analysis afterwards. But then Asa Hall scored his second from the penalty spot. Again, a bit of a, a contentious one, but Jeff King, you can see the both penalties for Halifax. He was looking a bit down in the dumps about it, but Jack Earing equalised and then Jeff King did go from villain to hero as he scored the winner and Chris it was a massive credit to Halifax but it was a really sloppy second half and the goals wasn't it yeah it was really sloppy and and certainly when you when you saw them go 2-1 up and in that situation you wouldn't have expected them to uh, to then throw it away 
Um, good choice by the BT Sport cameras, by the way, for, for picking that game because it, it was a really good one. And the second half, especially when they went 2-1 down, Halifax, it wasn't the kitchen sink, but it was there were parts of the bathroom thrown in <laughs> in, the last, uh, in the last 20 minutes of that match. And um, Gary Johnson, I think, quite rightly said that they did capitulate a little bit as a team. He was, he was at pains to say it wasn't the defence that capitulated. It was as a team. It was from the front. It was all the way back. And um, I just wonder whether the nerves are getting to Torquay now. How Did they go to the top too quick? Were they so far ahead? I know that, that Gary Johnson wouldn't let them settle on the, the haunches or anything like that. But sometimes psychologically, it must just feel like we're miles ahead now. If we just keep picking up a couple of wins every, every few matches, we'll be fine. But it does... It does seem, looking from the outside in, they've got one win in the last six, and that was against Barnet, that um, the wheels aren't coming off, but there's, there's definitely some nerves there. Yeah, it was, uh, like you say, it's, it's a great point, Chris, because they they went 2-1 up, and I know Adam Virgo said, well, that's what champions do. They, 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 they win when they're not playing well, and then lo and behold, Halifax went and equalised, got the winner, and it's, soon, it's almost like as soon as they went ahead, they, they, they went into the shell, didn't they? Yeah, they did a little bit. And that's not to take anything away from Halifax. They're a kind of a wild card Halifax. They can beat Torquay away, but then they can they can lose at home um, to one of the, the lesser teams as well. So you don't know what you're going to get, but you know, all credit to them for uh, for turning that one around. Yeah, and Halifax is a well funny team this year. I know Pete Wilde mentioned it. They lost to Barnett in midweek. Barnett picked up their first win of the season, but they've uh, certainly in front of the TV uh, in front of the TV cameras, they've done the business, haven't they, this year? Yeah, they like the cameras being there. BT should just pick them every week, shouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, they'd be uh, they'd be in the promotion hunt. Below that, Notts County and Stockport County were in the chasing pack, and it was Notts County and they played the derby against Chesterfield, and Chesterfield claimed all three derby points thanks to a Gavin Gunning goal there. Um, even though they've had a COVID-enforced break, they haven't lost much ground, Chesterfield, mainly for the fact that the weather's intervened and nobody else really played. So. In a way, it's, it's not worked out too badly for them. And that was a massive win in the derby, wasn't it, for Chesterfield? Yeah, it's a huge win for, for Chesterfield. Do you call that one a derby? I'm not. They, <laughs> they don't a... like each other, do they? No. Um, yeah, there's about 40 miles between them. But well, I'll take that. Uh, I'll take it as a derby. Um, yeah, it was a, I mean, it was a great win. And Neil Adley did, did give credit to, to Chesterfield. And, um, you know, the revolution can, continues at, at, at Chesterfield. Neil Adley mentioned there was a few ugly things that were perhaps creeping into to Notts County's game um, yesterday. But um, look, I, I think you've got to give the credit to Chesterfield there. They've only lost uh, one in nine now. And um, I th- fully expect them to be challenging for those playoff places as as they continue. Interesting that you mentioned Stockport there, actually, uh, Luke, because their, um, <laughs> their defeat yesterday, albeit to uh, a good Eastley side, um, was another blank on the, on the um, score sheet for, for, for Stockport. And certainly questions are being ans- asked there about um, Simon Rusk um, and about the, the new regime. Personally, I think it's too early. I mean, you, yeah, you can't you can. put someone in can and you? after six games decide that, that he's not good enough. It, that, you know, life doesn't work like that. How many jobs do you just go straight into and expect to be first class straight away? But what I will say is, um, in terms of Stockport County, they've got both of those sides, Chesterfield and Notts County, in the next seven days at home. And I think that will um, go a long way to determining the fans' mood because the fans are so important at Stockport County. There's such a, a huge 
base of them and they're very vocal on um, social media, especially without them being at the stadium at the moment. So they can't voice the thoughts in person, if you like. And um, those two games against uh, Notts County on Tuesday night and Chesterfield on Saturday, if County don't pick up maybe four points out of those two really difficult games, um, then I'd expect the noise to be getting louder. Yeah, they're pining for a bit of an ex-lover, aren't they, at the minute, I think, as well. It always happens when there's a a messy divorce. But uh, in terms of Stockport, obviously Harvey Gilmore was sent off, so it was more unhappy Gilmore for him yesterday. Sorry, Rob, I'm nicking that one. I know you use that on the radio at some point. But I just, even though it's up and down form for Stockport, I just let's give Eatley some love. I know it was a week after Valentine's Day, but they're quietly going about the business, aren't they? And I feel sorry for him because they barely get a murmur on this podcast at the minute. Um, they, they did get the victory through former Hungerford Townman Joe Tomlinson's penalty. But at times, Ben Strevin's turning water into wine with what he has to do there. He's done an absolutely brilliant job and they won't mind going under the radar. That's fine. That'll suit them. Keeping expectations, uh, you know, under wraps. And um, they have, I think, the comments we've made about Eastleigh this season quite rightly are complimentary. Strevens now in his, what, third season in charge um, and he's gone for a bit of continuity. You know, Hartley put, um, sorry, Eastleigh and Sutton both went strongly for continuity this season. They've added They've sort of tweaked their squads, but they got players and managers who are settled and they know what they're doing at this level. That's a fantastic victory for uh, Eastleigh yesterday. They, they now sit proudly in the top four. They've got momentum at the right time. Um, I, I, I just want to make a brief comment coming back to Chesterfield. What a tactical masterclass that was from James Rowe his side not playing for all that time they go away to Notts County flying again and they reduced them to zero shots on target in the whole game um, it, it doesn't look like it was the best of game if you just look at the stats just three shots on target for Chesterfield but fantastic result for Chesterfield they continue their upward momentum uh, and, and Notts County and Stockport on the weekend hitting the buffers but Sutton and Hartlepool making Good progress as Torquay slip up. Just want to bring Jake in. Jake, um, I know you you studied the game. You, you're as enthusiastic about the game, I know, as Scotty Davis, who comes on the show quite a lot as well. What do you make of the title race at the top end of the National League? It's, it's starting to blow wide open again, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit. And even when um, Torquay looked like they were running away with it, I thought, I don't... It's not done yet. Obviously, that's, that's proved to be the case. But... Um, yeah, there's some strong teams out there now, isn't there? I mean, we played Sutton last season, I think, or, or the season before, and they, they were quite poor, actually. And I was surprised at the time looking at the, the players they had, and they've really kicked on now, haven't they? They're, they're looking like they'll be, they'll be right up there. Um, I don't think Gary Johnson, having played for him, will will allow this this Torquay slump to to go for much longer. I'm sure he's got he'll, he's got some tricks up his sleeve. He'll, he'll get them playing again um, and start picking up some results. Um but yeah, it's something I've, I've been keeping my eye on. Definitely, I've, I've, I've got a bit of a reputation at Billericay, actually, as the, the person who, if you've got a question about nothing league, you ask me. I, I don't know what it is. I just follow it closer than most. Um, lost a little bit of love for the for the professional games, especially at the top end with all the, um, you know, the VAR controversy and, and whatnot. It just, it's just not really for me. So I, I spend a lot of time watching non-league football and, and knowing who's who's about and following ex-teammates throughout their careers. Um but yeah, there's there's some teams there. You think Notts County will probably finish strong. Um, they've kind of been round and about last season, obviously, and disappointed eventually. So yeah, I think there's 
hopefully, you know, the rest of the season continues um, smoothly and then we get a, a nice you know, conclusion to it. And Tom, Eastley have, have recruited really well from sort of the National League South as well, haven't we, with, with the budget they've got and they brought in players like Ryan Hill, who you know well. Yeah, Ryan Hill's um, he's really settled in very well at uh, Eastleigh, and uh, I think Ben Strevens approach to how he's introduced these players um, as he signed them has been quite quite professional. Really, he sort of um, you know I know Ryan Hill for example. Um, the same was with Ben House when he initially started. Um, similar for Tom Blair and and Abdullah Baggy. They got sort of sub appearances to start with for maybe the first month to six weeks that they're in the team. Um, but now he's starting to, you know, give regular starts to these new players. Uh, and it's changing the way they play, you know. Um, Eastley now have a couple of flying wingers on the pitch. They they tend to have three to four attacking uh, attacking players every game. Um, and they're getting the benefits from that. Altrincham have a bit of wobble recently. They faced Boreham Wood in their home fixture. Uh, due, so due to pitch issues, this game was switched to Broaders Park, the home of FC United of Manchester. Boreham Wood raced into a three-goal lead. Ten-man Altrincham fought back, but it wasn't quite enough there. Uh, so both sides had lost their two previous games before that. So Boreham Wood bouncing back there. Before we round up the other results, obviously, Rob, you mentioned about no shots before. It certainly wasn't the case for that far older shot on Saturday. They, uh, they, they had a really good win against Wrexham, didn't they? Yeah, I give up ever trying to predict Aldershot Town. They were wretched in the week and beaten by a very, very impressive Solly Moore side that then could only get a nil-nil at Weymouth yesterday. Um, Aldershot somehow managed the, the ridiculous achievement of having Alex Finney rip his hamstring and both full-backs get their fifth yellow card on Tuesday night. So expectations for the game against Wrexham were at probably an all-time low yesterday. We had a 20-year-old debutant, Ben Schroll, who just strolled with it on the day. There you go. I've used your pun there. Um, and they did really, really well all the shot. They, they, they made themselves hard to beat. They, they were a bit fortuitous with a couple of the goals, but you make your own luck, don't you? And, uh, um, you know, I've literally fallen out of love and back in love with all the shot in the space of four days this week. And uh, that's what it's like, um, as we all know, being a fan of, of any club, the ups and downs of football. I guess you're going to ask me um, about Wrexham. I just don't know. They came in, they were the form side, unbeaten in six, weren't they? One, three, drawn three, heading the right way up the table. But um, their fans are up in arms about that yesterday. Um, uh, you know, on paper, it was a fantastic chance to go and continue their run at Aldershot. And uh, sadly for them, they, 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 they just didn't turn up. So I don't know. I guess the question's going to be with the new Hollywood owners, what sort of level of patience they're going to show with Dean Keats. What are their expectations for this season? Let's be clear. They haven't splashed loads of cash yet, Wrexham, have they? So, uh, you know, what do you think, guys? I mean, I don't know which of you guys know Wrexham the best, but certainly we don't know Ryan Reynolds and Rob Rackle, any as owners, do we? Dickie's our Wrexham watch, man. Well, yeah, close enough, I would guess. You know, they're just just over the border from us. Um, It... I guess it's difficult to know, to be perfectly honest. And, and they are an unknown quantity as owners, but you, you don't get the impression that they will have got involved in something um, for, for it not to be a success. You know, they, they certainly, um, and they, they're making a lot of positive noises about sort of not, not just the club, but what they can do in the community, et cetera, as well. I think it's, I would imagine he probably is, you know, not feeling completely comfortable in his position at the moment. I don't know whether they've had any conversations with him. Um, you know, certainly not aware of anything, but 
you know, as as a manager, you've got to think when you get new owners and new what look like ambitious owners, you know, you, you are they going to give you the opportunity? And I think Wrexham, you know, they, they, they've they've done reasonably well um, since since the, the the change of ownership, but they are still prone to, you know, shooting themselves in the foot badly like they did yesterday, and, and you know that's got to raise a question mark, hasn't it? Yeah, every so often they just chuck in a defeat, which will raise those question marks, as Dickie said. And uh, for all the shot, it was obviously a couple of malign plays. He got the goals there, Joel Newblay and Jermaine Anderson. He maybe not quite done it this year, so that's good to see them on the score sheet. And also Danny Sills, another one who's been linked with a Northampton job. So it must be must be a bald thing, it's fair to say. Um, just, <laughs> wrapping, just wrapping up quickly then, Bromley, they threw away a two-goal lead to draw against Maidenhead, uh, the division's leading scorer, Michael Cheek, in amongst the goals there. Comfortable win for Woking at Barnet, Lowe's and DR on the score sheet. And as Rob mentioned, Weymouth and Solihull played out a stalemate and Weymouth should have won it really. Andrew Dallas, who's been in good form since joining on loan from Cambridge United, he missed a penalty and he smacked the underside of the bar. Jake, as we've got you on, I want to ask you about the art of striking, the art of being a goal scorer. I, I, I'm not, I'm not blowing wind up your jacksy by saying you're one of the most natural finishers that I've watched, and I've seen the pleasure, although it was all too brief, of you doing that in the red and blue of Aldershot Town a few years back. But people who've sort of heard of Jake Robinson in the last ten years or so might say he's so prolific. What you know, he deserves or he deserved a chance at a higher level. They may not know that you were with Brighton and Hove Albion. You played in the Championship and uh, League One. Mm-hmm. Um, take us back to those early days. Your strike rate then was nowhere near as prolific, was it? Was that the physicality? Was it because you were still learning your trade? You obviously learned a lot from those days. Yeah, a combination of all of it. I think um, I kind of I came into the professional game with um, very high expectations. I was more prolific for the youth teams coming through Brighton than I, than I am even now. Um, I was playing for, I think, the under-19s at 15. Um, I was I was a, onto the YTS straight out of school when I remember having a meeting with the chairman at Brighton. I think I was about 14 in a restaurant. And he, he it, it was him letting me know they were going to offer me a, a you know a scholarship and to not go elsewhere, basically. Um, didn't even really know what it meant at the time, but obviously I was pleased. Nice to get to meet a chairman at that point. He was talking about me being the first first goal scorer at, at the Amex Stadium. That was that was his dream, um, Dick Knight. And the stadium unfortunately took longer to build than than we all hoped for. So I never actually got the chance to play there. But yeah, coming to the first team with real high expectations, scored at sixteen. Thought you know this is easy. I'm going to be in the Premier League in a few years, and it just never really worked out. I think I look back now at, at pictures and videos, and I. I was 16, 17, but uh, I had the, the physique of probably a 14, 15 year old. I was, I was tiny. I was lightweight. I, my pace let me get away with a lot. Um, brought me more, you know, chances than than I had. And then Brighton got promoted that first year, and it, it was two years in the Championship in a in a pretty poor team for for a, you know a 17 year old with limited opportunities. Um, I scored on on the first day of the season at Reading um, that next season, and. You know, I don't think I scored again until the season after. Uh, yeah, it was a real tough learning curve. It was a really old school Brighton team as well. It's it's not like, you know, the academy football people get brought up in now. This was, you know, going straight into the first team with people like Charlie Oatway, Danny Cullip, Guy Butters, Richard Carpenter, real old school, proper, you know, grown men. Um, wouldn't allow any kind of like, you know, any big time this coming through at all. And um, they kept everyone in check, which I think 
in the long term was was great experience for me. It was a real real good upbringing in football, and it, and it served me well in the long term. Um, I just I just never like you said I never got going really. Once I got into League One, I had a little bit more success. I scored you know scored for Brighton. Had a good season in League One. I scored for Shrewsbury and um, Torquay in in League Two. Did pretty well there. And then once I got to non-league, I was, I was a different player. I, I understood my game more. I understood the the level. Although saying that, my first year in the in the, the national league south was was an experience. I did think to myself quite early on, you know, what have I done? I could still be in you know, a training every day and finishing at, at, at one o'clock and going down to Nando's and Starbucks with the lads every day. It was a quite nice, comfortable life, whilst not really doing it on the pitch. And then. You know, I threw myself straight into working full time, playing for Whitehawk, almost getting relegated, and then then that next year it was just like it something just clicked, and um, I think the 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 goal scoring thing is it's it's a knack, it's, it's being in the right place at the right time. I don't think you can explain it in words. I don't think you can really coach it to someone. It's just the ball falls, and and you you happen to be there. And I've always had that, fortunately, um, where my pace has slightly deserted me a bit more. I've, I've got an extra yard, probably yard or two, in you know just um, in your head. and in my head's been um, knowing the, the the place the ball's likely to fall and and learning from the players in your team who's going to cross the ball early, who's going to take extra touches and, and and chop inside, and you know are they going to cross from the byline, are they going to cross it from deep, and just positioning yourself where the defender's not going to be, using that double movement, getting across the defender to then running behind him or, or the opposite, staying on his shoulder so he can't see you and the ball at the same time. It's stuff like this that people tell you when you're coming up through through football when you're young and you just think, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. And then you know, as you grow, you think, well, it, that really does work. And when once it becomes second nature, you don't need to think about it on the pitch and that gives you an extra second or two. And, and that's where you know a lot of the goals come from. And the thrill of the, the thrill of scoring a goal, Jake. Whether there's, I mean, it's got to be better when there's fans in the stadium for sure. But yeah. uh, it never yeah. leaves you, does it? I, I, the scoring goals has got better for me, to be honest. I, I enjoy it way more now than when I did as a youth team, and not so much when I was a professional because you know, scoring in front of ten, twenty thousand people is is just a it's just a completely different experience, it's like an out of body experience almost. You don't really know what's going on at the time. But it's been <laughs> such a strange year. You know, we're lucky we've got, um, you know, this level is, this this National League South now is, is not what it used to be. It's so much better in all reasons. People are filming games now. You get high quality highlights. You get photographers at every game. Like obviously, Tom comes to our game um, when we played Hampton and we've got a, um, you know, a club photographer in Nicky Hayes. So you, know, you get to record every moment, whereas it's, it never used to be like that. And I think this league itself, is, the quality now is, is probably twice as good as it was when I first joined and that's in the last you know six or seven years there's more people coming out of academies now these these talented talented people who just want a chance and I think they're realizing the benefits of playing competitive adult football now rather than playing in in you know under 18s under 23 squad and are still hoping for that chance so the level of quality has gone up that's why I wouldn't be surprised if if people in in the south and north get a chance in the national league now now that they can't play in Especially if teams are going to be, you know, furloughing people and, and playing non-contract lads, it's almost like a free trial for for the next three months for a few people, isn't it? If you can go into the clubs and 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 perform day in day out in training, and when you get them chances on a Saturday, now I'll, you know I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them get a chance to stay at that level. What's your own situation as far as that's concerned in terms of your contract, Jay? Would you be able to play for anybody else or not at the moment? 
I'll be honest, I don't know. Um, we're still, um, the club obviously are discussing the plan going forward now. We're waiting to hear what, what their long-term plans is. I'm contracted till the end of the year. I just assumed it would be, um, you know, furlough until till there's no more furlough. Um, and then I, it, it seems like everyone's hope is that we come back in July for pre-season and everything's as, as much normal as it could be. Um, I don't know what you guys believe, you know, the chances of the leagues below us carrying on are. I've seen a, f- a little bit of chat about it, but I can't see it myself personally. Um, so, you know, I, just, I, I can't see myself, you know, moving anywhere now. I think um, I'm quite well settled and use this maybe next six months or four, four or five months where it is, get, get in the best shape I possibly can, you know, and have another real go at it next year and make up for these next two years by playing until I'm 40, 41, whatever it needs to be. Go for it, mate. You know, Rob mentioned about your phenomenal goal-scoring record um, and it has been quite remarkable over the years. Um, But not a lot of people know that you're not the top-scoring Robinson brother, um, particularly over the last three years. Um, By my reckoning, you've scored 40 goals across the last three seasons, which, considering that's really been sort of two seasons when you break down down to two halves, is really impressive numbers. Um, But your brother was on 10 for the season so far this year, 17 last season, and a remarkable 45 uh, goals for New Haven in uh, 2018-19. Um, so do you get much banter for being the second best striker in the Robinson family? It is unbelievable, really, because even when I scored my club record for Billy Ricky, which was, I think, 57, he scored 58 that season for New Haven as well. He's just always trying to get one up on me. He's, he's, his goal-scoring record there is actually incredible. It's, um, you know, I, I think he's been there over 10 years now, but... 300 or 400 goals or whatever he's got. He's, they've named the stand after him as a as a current player. I just, yeah, he does give me a bit of stick, to be fair. I just won one season when I beat him. I thought this might be the one, so. More ahead in league goals this season, 12 to 10. But Which is why I was asking whether the, you know, the steps below will continue, <laughs> because I'm sure we'll get a couple of games and score five or six goals. If it, isn't, if it doesn't, I think you need to start a campaign that null and void doesn't mean the goal-scoring stats are wiped. I'll be on Twitter starting petition. Don't you worry about that. Do you know if if Kevin Watson goes, can you think of a good striker who can partner you, Jake? You go, actually, I do. I... <laughs> he's um he's actually just quickly he I had a lot of messages from ex players, and managers, and stuff about him over the over the years whether he wanted to you know come to X level local club and, and give it a go. But he's just he's always been so happy there. He's you know like I said a legend at the club. He's his friends all play there. He's just someone who never really wanted to to go and you know and step on and test himself. He wanted to, you know, he was comfortable playing there and with the record he's got, I don't really blame him to be honest. Well, that is it. Um Jake, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's been good, good to chat. Um I'll have to come on again sometime, hopefully after maybe a weekend where I've scored a couple of goals and there's a few <laughs> fans there to see it. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, we'll definitely get you on next season. Um guys, Rob, Chris, Tom. Uh, Dickie, thanks very much for your contributions today as well. Yeah, pleasure. Glad we can get the whole thing back together. Yeah. Look after yourselves. We'll see you all very soon. As we said, we will try and get some more reaction to everything that's happened uh, over this next coming week for you to put on next week's podcast. Until then, take care, look after yourselves, and we'll see you all very soon. (laughs) 